Hi, everyone. Welcome to Sobriety Core Podcast, a collection of stories from people who happen to be sober. I'm your host, Kim Palumbo. Hi, everyone. I am very excited to welcome sobriety superstar Lara Silverman for episode 14 of Sobriety Core. Lara is founder of Booze Free in DC and the Sobriety Collective, and she also co founded Sands Bar DC. Hey, Lara. Hi, Kim. Thanks for having me. Can you hear Super me? Super excited. Yeah, <laughs> okay, I, I so think we can hear you. It is. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> um, Lara, who are you? I just have to say before I get started that 14 is a very special number for me. Oh, really? Um, it I got sober on July 14, oh my 2007. So 14 is very auspicious Love in my that. life. Um, who am I? Whew, loaded question. Um, well, you gave my intro, but really I am a, a person in long-term recovery. Um, I am a daughter, sister, aunt friend, employee, entrepreneur, um, nature lover, music lover, karaoke, and roller derby lover. (laughs) Um, And I'm 36. Uh, I live in the Washington, D.C. area, so we're here together in person doing this. Live, live Um, in person. (laughs) And uh, I grew up overseas, so I speak Spanish almost fluently, but I don't really know what else to say about that's who a I lot am. That's of a lot. things. I love that. That's a lot of things. Uh, what brought you to sobriety? It's like it's so weird because it's been such a long time of being sober that it almost I almost forget what it was like and why I came to the other side. Mm. But um, what brought me to sobriety? Well, I should probably say what brought me to drinking because that then led me to sobriety. Um, I was very anxious. Um, some, some of that anxiety still carries over into adulthood, but I was a very anxious kid. I dealt with um, social anxiety, OCD, and a couple of other things. And um, I'll just fast forward all of my school stuff, basically. But I was heavily bullied for many years of my life. And so I carried some of those scars with me for a long time and still do, to be honest. Um, and in college, I didn't I didn't drink in high school at all. I just I prided myself on being like very goody two shoes. And I wanted to like keep, you know, keep an eye on my academics. And I was a drama kid and just did that stuff. But in college, I kind of went off the rails and it didn't happen that fast. I just wanted to feel like I belonged. And alcohol is very conniving because it makes you feel like you're a part of things. Um, But most of those connections ended up being very inauthentic. And um, I, I just fell into drinking and into binge drinking. And um, I found that at the time, Um, when I was drinking, a lot of my mental health gunk, as I call it, kind of went away. It like disappeared for a very brief moment in time, but it would always come storming back the next day because hangovers suck for everyone. And when you have mental health issues, um, they suck even more. And so, um, as they say in certain programs, first it was fun, then it was fun with problems, and then it was just problems. And I went through a trajectory of fun, 
fun with problems and then just problems very quickly. I only drank for six years in my life. But by the end, by the last year and a half, I had been hospitalized twice for alcohol poisoning. So the last hospitalization, something happened. I just kind of had this like click. Mm -hmm. Something happened. I don't I don't know how to even describe it, but like many people may call it like a spiritual awakening mm -hmm. or um, some sort of shift, like an internal shift. And without knowing what to call it, I know that something inside me felt very different and I didn't want to drink again, like for real, for real. I often said like, I'm never drinking again and meant it at the time, but never really meant it commitment wise. Mm -hmm. But this time felt different. And it was strange because I knew I didn't ever want to drink again, but I also didn't know how I could live without drinking. And I, when I came home, I was in New York City at the time for the first time in my life. And when I came home, um, I called for help. I had pretty crappy health insurance, but it had um, substance use and mental health services. Um, and it was my first job out of college. I had only just turned 24. So how could I possibly be sober at 24? But I knew I needed help. And I didn't think it would be for the rest of my life being sober, but I knew that I needed to make like a significant change. And that's what brought me to sobriety. And it's, I've been sober ever since. That's awesome. I love that. <laughs> I love what you said. You said alcohol makes you feel connected, but most of those connections are inauthentic. And I think that's, that's such an important point. And, and it, that's like the lie, right? That's mm -hmm. like the big lie that we all tell ourselves. And, and then, um, you know, hopefully learn along the way. Um, Malcolm Gladwell just wrote this new book called Talking to Strangers, and he talks about how alcohol makes you myopic. You know, like mm. we think, which is the exact opposite of what we think it does. We think that it like opens our eyes and makes us freer and more accepting, et cetera. Mm. But yeah. it ends up like narrowing your focus um, and does the exact opposite. So I, I think that's um, so connected to that like authenticity piece. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. For sure. How do you stay sober? How do I stay sober? Um, at this point in my life, and, and I hope that, you know, for anyone listening, um, almost 30, or 12 and a half years can seem crazy, like just crazy town. And, and if you feel like you can't relate to someone who's been sober for 12 and a half years, I hope you'll find something in my story that does resonate with you. Because when I was first sober, I doubted anyone who'd been sober longer than like a few months. I'm like, that is just bullshit. If I can, if I, if yes, I can swear. Of course, you can say bullshit. Yeah. There are a lot of things that I use in my life as tools to stay healthy and to remind myself of the path that I've chosen. Um, at this point in my life, though, it just feels like the default, which mm. I never thought it would. Like, I never thought... Like I always had to drink to be social and um, I wasn't a daily drinker, but I definitely had a very strong psychological dependence on it. it may not have been a physical dependency, but it was very psychologically intertwined. Um, and so to just feel free, as free as someone who still has anxiety can feel, um, just free without booze, it's pretty amazing. Um, so some of the things that I have used in my time in, you know, over a decade and some of the things that I continue to use, um, well, I, I do recommend to anyone who has struggled with alcohol to try out 
a few different types of programs to see what fits for them. Um, and if none of them fit, that's also okay. No one told me that going in. I, mm. I had to be in line with a certain program of an anonymous nature. And if I wasn't, I was basically instructed that like my recovery wasn't really real mm. or true. Right. Um, which is not true. And anyone, no one can dictate anyone else's sobriety and recovery except for themselves. You get to own your terms. Um, but I have tried Alcoholics Anonymous, just to put it out there. I have tried Smart Recovery. I have tried Refuge Recovery, which I believe is now called Dharma Recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, I read a lot of books super slowly. So, like, if people send me books that are authors or like, trying to get my blogs from those books. I'm so terribly sorry if I've kept you waiting for like a year because I just am slow with reading, but I love reading um, memoirs Mm -hmm. and personal development books. Um, Nature is huge for me and it is a very natural antidepressant, even though I legit am on an antidepressant. Um, So medication helps me as well. Um, And therapy, I've been in therapy on and off since I got sober. Um, but I haven't been to one in probably about a year and a half. So it might be time to revisit therapy. Um, but I, w- I want to go back to nature and music because those are two free things um, that have really, really helped me. I've always been into music. I've just, I love playing the piano, guitar, I sing. Um, and I love listening to so many different things and you can just pick something for your mood. And, um, there is a level of like dopamine that is released and I'm not a scientist or a neuroscientist, but, but music has a way of like deeply, there's something that it does with your brain that changes things. And there have been books written about this. So please like research the books. Um, but it just, it's just like a natural solve mm. and same with nature. I spend a lot of time um, taking walks outside. I sometimes go on hikes. I'm not going to lie and say that like, I'm a hiker, an avid hiker. I'm not, but I love being outside. I love um, meditation, but it doesn't just have to be sitting down silently. Right. Meditation for me involves being outside mm-hmm. and in nature. Um, it can also mean just quietly listening to instrumental music and just being still with myself. Um, There's a lot that I do. And part of how I've stayed sober all these years, um, I have a commitment to this lifestyle, Mm. which is really important to me. And in the beginning, it was really difficult to have a social life, being young and sober without Instagram, without uh, the blogosphere. And it felt very isolating because there were really only just a couple of options. And if a a particular option doesn't resonate with a person and there aren't that many others, it can feel extremely isolating. Mm -hmm. So I certainly didn't go to bars, um, which I wouldn't recommend to anyone really in early sobriety because there's really no reason at that point. But if you can't, but, but now so, so I still wouldn't recommend going to bars for someone in early sobriety. That being said, uh, there's so much just going on around the country, but around the world um, with the rise of the zero proof cocktail with um, non-alcoholic beer and kombucha, which 
again, you have to be very discerning because not all kombucha is made equally. It does have a trace amount of alcohol, but that's for fermentation process. Um, so there's, there's so many more non-alcoholic beverages that you can consume in a social environment and not feel like you're excluded. Mm. Before, um, even just like a, a really two and a half years ago, there was Diet Coke and seltzer and not a whole lot of other things. I mean, there sure there were. There was like Odules, but I didn't have that. <laughs> and there were other things. It just wasn't like this explosion on the market of right. all these amazing options for people. And um, I'm really passionate about that. And that is one of the things that is actually a fun tool for me is mm -hmm. like finding fun booze-free beverages so that like I can feel not just like quote unquote a part of, but also because I want to enjoy a fun beverage and I don't just want to like have water. Although I love water. It's very hydrating. <laughs> um, so there's just a whole lot of things, but to just boil it down to a term that I learned in um, She Recovers, mm -hmm. which is a community that has meant a lot to me in my recovery. Um, and that's, you know, the takeaway for someone is to find a community that right. makes them feel um, really included. And um, the term is called uh, recovery patchwork. And it's basically like building your own buffet, building your own menu of things that work for you in your own recovery, because you get to own it. So if that means in your patchwork, you have multiple pathways. Um, and again, multiple pathways to recovery is, is another term that is used a lot these days. Um, and it wasn't always the case. Right. But that can include, so multiple pathways really speaks to like different ways of getting to the same place. And that place is recovery, which doesn't mean the same thing, obviously, for everyone. Mm -hmm. The patchwork I love because it's sort of what I described before, not knowing that there was any kind of like word for it, but it was just how I was building my own recovery, which was with different programs, cutting toxic relationships, mm -hmm. building up my my relationships with my family and friends to a point of being even healthier, therapy, books, nature, all of the things that like work for you, booze-free beverages, like everything together combined is my recovery patchwork. And so I think that that's really helpful for me in staying sober and something that I would highly recommend to anyone who is sort of in that early phase or even not in that early phase and feeling a little stale. Right. There is a point in time where you start to, where you can, where you may start to feel a little stale in your recovery. And I've gone through many different phases. I mean, 12 plus years, that's a long time of just life. And so there've been a lot of different phases of my recovery that I've gone through. And as a creative person, it's been important to me to have creative outlets, not just music, but also building, tinkering with websites and building communities that way. And um, just like the act of designing something is um, um, brain fart. What's the word? Well, it's, well, it's important I, to me. I think it, it sounds like it's healing on some level. Yeah. Like it contributes to coming back to who you are. Yes. Yes. If you could sit down with Laura Silverman, your drinking self, what would you say to her? Oh, it's like, 
heartbreaking a little bit because she's still me mm. and I'm still her, but like night and day at the same time. Well, you know, before I, I tell you what I would say to my younger self, I will say that I don't regret anything that's happened in my life because it's led me to where I am now. And I don't think I would be this version of myself had I not had those experiences that shaped me. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be able to connect with people in the way that I do without having gone through what I've been through. I wouldn't be the advocate and passionate builder of sobriety and recovery and booze-free related things if I, you know, hadn't had that in my past. So it's been truly identity building for me. Right. Um, but I still would go back in time and just tell the drinking version of myself, or maybe just to flip the script a little bit and tell like the early, early, like month or two month sober version of myself that it does get better. It does get easier, but it takes time. Mm. And one thing that I learned in the rooms, in therapy, and she recovers, it's a universal truth. And that's time takes time. Mm. You can't rush a process. And um, my old sponsor, whom I am still close with uh, today, um, always told me to trust the process. And that doesn't mean to just let go of all agency that you have in your life. Sure. I think you can sort of make a comparison to manifestation that way. Um, manifestation doesn't just mean magically like, poof, you're rich and all the things have happened. Um, it right. involves putting the work in and then trusting that that work will yield to positive and fruitful results. You can't get to that side of things without going through hardship mm. and um, success people and myself included have often thought of success as this like thing that, that exists in a sort of mutually exclusive pillar than failure. And I didn't quite say that right, but like success and failure aren't two different things. They exist together yeah. and truly successful people go through so many quote unquote failures to get to success because it just means that there's tenacity, there's will, there's determ like um, determination. And so I would tell the struggling version of myself and also the early in sobriety version, which was also a struggling version of myself, that you'll get there and just keep at it and don't give up. And all the like, really cliched things as I'm like listening to myself, it sounds like a cliche, but um, just the biggest thing is like be gentle with yourself. And I would have like, I'm just, I'm just getting like a little emotional thinking of that version of, of myself and just instead of feeling ashamed or embarrassed or like mortified about the things that I did. And trust me, there's a lot that I feel very embarrassed about, but instead of feeling those things, I would just feel compassion and try to emulate that compassion to my younger self and know, and just tell her that, you know, one day things will be very different, but 
like you just have to go through some stuff first. Right. Yeah. You have to go through it. The only way through it is, or the only way to the other side is through or something like yeah, that. Something. I don't know. One yeah. of those things. Right. One, one of those, those Instagram One quotes. of those good quotes <laughs> that we see. It's an Oprah-ism. Hashtag <laughs> sober life. Yeah. <laughs> the only way out is through. That's it. That's it. We got it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, you've said so many things that I love. Um, and this not regretting who you are is, I think, is really important. It, it makes me think about the next question, or it kind of segues into the next question about your relationship between pride and shame along the way in your journey. And how has that changed over time? I think for me, and I'm certainly not going to say that I am wildly and vastly different from the rest of people who've gone through this. Um, but for me, I was never too proud to say that I was sober or that I was in recovery. Um, I was actually really open about it and maybe too open about it to the point where maybe there were some things that I shouldn't have been sharing with, with people. But, you know, even like in my my second job out of college, which was, I was still relatively young when I joined the company, I was 25. And um, I didn't go into the whole story, but I, you know, at the outset, I would, I told them that I'm sober and, um, you know, that's my lifestyle. And there was a lot of drinking in that organization, all the like holiday parties, we would do white elephant and there'd be lots of like beer and whiskey and bourbon, but because they knew that I was sober, but still like cool. I hope they thought that doesn't matter because I am. Um, they'd be like, no, no, Laura, don't, don't grab that gift. Grab this gift. Cause they knew it was like booze and they right. knew that I wasn't, but I, you know, so it's just, um, I was very open about my journey. Um, so pride didn't really factor in that way, but shame was definitely still part of, part of my story. And, and, um, and that was all the things that I did that I remember doing sure by the way right because yeah. there's a lot that I don't remember doing and yeah. I think I can actually vividly remember um this was still in my drinking days um but I vividly remember one of my friends who was also like my kick kickboxing instructor um we went out and I just must have gotten hashtag Laura shit-faced right. <laughs> like I like just my signature move on the weekends was to just get blackout drunk. Um, and I don't think it was ever like my goal, but it just happened because I had no off switch. I had no limits. Right. And even when I imposed limits on myself, like tonight I'll have three drinks. I will space it out with water. I'll have it once on the hour. I was never drinking and driving, but like I, I spaced things out and I still somehow ended up, you know, going home with random people or hospitalized or, um, you know, I came home fine, but, Lord knows what I did in the, you know, in the interim. So I remember we were at brunch the next day. There was, I don't remember what this person looked like, but there was this guy there and, um, and they were telling stories about things that I did the night before. And I don't remember anything. And apparently, you know, I just, I felt so ashamed and mm. so small that I wanted to just like get swallowed up by the by the floor, sure. by the earth, because <clears throat> just like to not know anything of what you've done. Mm -hmm. And it's one thing to like 
wake up completely hungover and feeling miserable and be like, oh God, what did I do? It's one thing to sit with those uncomfortable feelings and that's enough as it is, but it's another thing to like be uncomfortable and then be told what you've done and you have no idea whatsoever. Like you don't remember. It's just, so I had a lot of shame in my hangovers, a ton of shame. Um, and in sobriety in early, early sobriety, um, shame thinking about those things that I vaguely remember happening. Um, and just wondering like how many people have I hurt or embarrassed Mm -hmm. or, um, moreover, like how many times have I hurt or embarrassed myself? And so I had a lot of shame for the things that I did when I was drinking. Um, while I was in that, you know, while I was in my drinking days, but also definitely into my sobriety, but I didn't have shame over being sober. So it was definitely shame about the things that I did or don't remember doing, but not shame about my new lifestyle. Yeah. You said something interesting about pride. I wasn't too proud to say I was sober. Mm -hmm. And I want to ask a question about that because I think there is this um, assumption in recovery speak Mm -hmm. from my perspective, that pride has negative connotations. But really, would you say you were proud to be sober Mm -hmm. and therefore comfortable talking about it? Yes. Yeah. So in many ways, like, it's almost like it's not that you weren't too proud. You were proud enough to say, I'm sober. Right. And this is just who I am. And I'm not ashamed of it. Right. But there is this thing as well that... um. So there's obviously a stigma of addiction and substance use disorder, which is, I mean, we are just chipping away at it slowly. And like one day we'll see this like Mount Rushmore version um, of like what recovery is and you'll be able to see it. But right now it just feels like there's just a lot of chipping away at the stone. Right. Um, But not only is there stigma of addiction and the range of substance use disorders, but there's still a stigma of recovery. Right. And so there's only the only way to shatter the stigma of recovery or sobriety, however you want to call it, um, whatever it means to you, is to talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. And so, like, I think a lot of people, they understand the stigma of the current use and abuse and mm-hmm. misuse of, mm-hmm. of drugs and alcohol. Um, but then there's also this stigma and shame about actually being on the other side in recovery. Right. And, and and I found, you know, I'll just be perfectly honest. Um, I do recommend 12 steps to someone who who's new. And if it works for them, then they're set. If it doesn't work for them, that's totally fine. But I did feel um, stigma when I was part of that program for wanting to be open mm. about my sobriety. Mm-hmm. And so I understand the nature of anonymity. It's to not be a mouthpiece for the program. It's to not, um, you know, assume that you can speak for the program. And it's also, you know, supposed to be principles over personalities. And when it's done right, it's done right. But I felt kind of ostracized a little bit for wanting to be open about things. Mm -hmm. And even now I still see it with people that I've met who are amazing, amazing people. And they're just like, 
please don't talk about this. Like, please don't tell anyone, blah, blah, blah. And my heart breaks a little bit yeah. because it's a personal choice and I respect that. And, you know, I, I won't tell anyone about X, Y, or Z, but it also makes me feel like, how are we ever going to get to the other side of breaking through this stigma, breaking through the shame if we don't talk about it? Mm. Yeah, I think there's a lot of tension around that right now, you know, and, and just mm-hmm. um, you, people just, I feel like having very specific opinions about that. Mm-hmm. Um, which are valid. Absolutely. Which are valid. Yes. What is <laughs> one question that you wish someone would ask you about yourself or your sobriety? I would love to be asked more about, you know, this multiple pathways approach and the, you know, the importance of like booze-free beverages. And I'm just, I'm, I'm stalling because I honestly don't know. What would you ask me, Kim, that you haven't already? <laughs> you can't throw this back on yeah, me. Yeah, I totally will. <laughs> How about if anyone has any questions who's listening, who's gotten this far and wants to ask me, they can certainly reach out to me and I would love to answer them. I just don't know. Where if- can we find you? <laughs> All over the place. All over the place. <laughs> Google Laura Silver. Oh my gosh, stop. But um, <laughs> if you if you go, most of you are probably on Instagram because I feel like I listened to your um, intro as I was walking from the parking lot over to meet you. And um, I remember you saying that you had met all these people on Instagram. Yeah, it's, it's so many strangers. It's, I mean, that's how we met. <laughs> it's how I met Laura. Yeah. Laura's the first stranger I've ever DM'd on social media. She's listened to my DMs, everyone. <laughs> and I wrote back. True story. Yeah. Um, Instagram, I think, is a good starting point. And if mm. people want to reach out to me, they can follow me at We Are Sober. Um, DM me or email me or whatever. I would love to connect with you. Um but I don't know what I wish people would ask me. Um, geez, I, I have no idea. I'm just, I'm just glad to, to be here and to be sober. <laughs> what is, I'm going to ask you one more question. Sure. What's one of your favorite recovery related books? Mm, I have many. Okay. Many. Pick um, one. One. Yeah. Pick one. Okay. Can I pick one memoir and one like, all right, fine. Okay. All right. Let me tell you. <laughs> There's a book that I read when I was first, first in the early months of sobriety that like outlined a lot of different options, which was very kind of revolutionary back in 2007. And it was called Sober for Good by a woman named Ann Fletcher, I believe. And it's kind of like a no frills looking book. Um, It almost kind of looks like a chicken soul for the chicken soup for the soul book, like on the cover, but it's just, it's called Sober for Good, and it's not evangelizing any kind of recovery pathway. It's just giving you multiple options, and I felt very seen when I read that. Love that. And if I can say my absolute favorite recovery memoir thus far, and I've read a boatload of them, is Blackout mm. by Sarah Heppola, Remembering the Things I Drank to Forget. That just got me, like, <laughs> just, like... Right in the gut. Right there. Yeah. yeah. And I've certainly read a lot and there's so many things to read and listen to now. And it's just, it's a great time to be thinking about sobriety. It's a great time to be uh, sober curious, sober for life, in recovery, 
uh, straight edge even and connect with other people who don't drink. Um, it's just a great time because there's so much out there beverage wise. There's so many podcasts out there like Sobriety Core, so many books and communities. You know, there's She Recovers, there's The Temper and Tempest, there's um, all the programs that I've outlined, tons of Instagrams, tons of blogs and books. Um, there are just so many resources that I wish there were even just like a fraction of when I was starting out. And if I can kind of go full circle, that's why I started the things that I started because I wanted to provide myself what I needed at the time. Mm. And I wanted to be able to provide someone that resource that I would have wanted. So the sobriety collective started out um, really as a way for me to give people options. I just, I started the things that I needed and they've just grown from there. And I think I've grown from there. Yeah. Thank you so much for taking the time and chatting oh, with me. You're welcome. I, am I hope we kept it at time. Thrilled <laughs> um, that you sat down with me. Thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me. Of course. As always, I want to interview you. Drop a line at SobrietyCore on Instagram or visit www.sobrietycore.com to tell your story. That's www.sobrietycorps.com. Look for our next episode in about a week where we get to hear from a human behind an Instagram handle. Until then, be well.